Hello, and welcome to this episode of Agape Fellowship. We read and study the Bible verse by verse. We are now looking at the Beatitudes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, starting from verse 1. In our last episode, we read how people who are poor in spirit repented and turned to God are blessed. If that is poverty, let's see what riches are in this episode. We pray that you will be blessed. What is the true riches? What exactly is the true riches? And I want to forward us to the book of Revelation. And I want to read from that about two types of churches. Because it applies to us. And we as the body of Christ, this applies to us. And so let's look at that. Um, I've got Revelation 3, 14 to 22. The Lukewarm Church. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me ask you, does anyone in this call have not have years? Do you have years? I think we all do, right? Nobody sliced off your years, right? You weren't in the garden where Peter took it off, lobed it off, right? We all have I don't years. have any in there. Oh, you don't have any. <laughs> okay, you don't have any. All right, you're an exception. Um, but the rest of us have years. And so it is for us. We, it, this particular message is for us. And look at what he's saying here. You think you're rich. You think you've, you've become wealthy and you'd have need for nothing. And do not know that you're wretched and you're miserable and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. And he says, look, I advise you to buy refined gold from me and white garments so that you might be clothed and cover your nakedness, your shamefulness. This is a Laodicean church, a lukewarm church, a church that this is one of the attributes of a lukewarm Christian, a lukewarm church, a lukewarm body of Christ. They're lukewarm, and when they're lukewarm, 
we are naked, wretched, poor, and blind, and shameful. And we don't think so. Why? Because we think we are rich. Our programs are rich. I'm rich. My church is rich. I got collection plates. I got everything everywhere I want. I'm so, oh, so rich. That's one of the attributes of a lukewarm person and a lukewarm church. Those are the attributes. That we have money? Everything. You think that you have everything. It's not just money, spiritual. Think of spiritual, not necessarily physical money, right? There's nothing wrong in the physical money. But spiritually, you're bankrupt. Spiritually wretched, broken, wicked. But we think we are all, you know, all, all together put in place. That's the Laodicean church. Notice poverty. Notice where Jesus calls, and this is the letter that Jesus writes to the Laodicean church, and he says, look, you are naked and you're poor. You're in poverty, but you don't understand that you're in poverty. And that is the case of an unbeliever. When we are lukewarm, our view of the world and our relationship with God is on the same level of that of an unbeliever you go to an unbeliever and say uh, you know don't necessarily talk about jesus but just generally have a conversation and say you know life's good i'm rich i'm wealthy i don't have need for anything you know life's all good and i'm wealthy oh how about your spiritual life i look good everything looks fine that's what an unbeliever would say wouldn't it i worship every sunday I'm in the hallelujah chorus. Isn't that what they say? Isn't that what we would say as a lukewarm person that I'm all good? So a lukewarm and an unbeliever have the same view. And we don't even understand, we as a believer don't understand that we've hit poverty. And Jesus is warning the Laodicean church to say, hey, wake up. Come and get refined gold from me. I know. Yes, Mr. Steve, just one moment. Get uh, white garments from me so that I can cover, you can cover your nakedness. And be zealous. And then he's encouraging them to say, look, be zealous. Repent. Notice what he says. Repent. In other words, they're in the same place as the prodigal. Lukewarmness is equal to the prodigal. You, you are eating pig food. Your spiritual, my spiritual level is that of that prodigal who is just about to pick up the sop to lap it up and I think, oh, my father has better food than this. And we are at that stage. And we don't recognize it. And so Jesus tells them, be zealous. Repent, turn, come. I stand at the door and I'm knock. If anyone hear my voice, if you hear my voice, open the door. I will come in. I want to sit down and eat with you and you with me. And then I want you to sit on my throne just as I sit in my father's throne. 
that is the promise that he's given to the Laodicean church and to the lukewarm. Mr. Steve, go ahead before we read the next portion. I, in practical terms, um, it reminds me of the failure of many relationships, uh, some of which we may have been a part of, marriages, boyfriends, girlfriends. When you have a relationship or try to have a relationship and you don't, you don't fully commit to it in the sense of with your whole heart and mind. Um, for example, you're married, you wanna, you need furniture for your house or your apartment. And your wife says, let's go to Ashley Furniture, for example, and get some, look at some furniture. Okay, I'll go along. She shows you a living room set. Nah, that, what do you think? Oh, that's all right goes to the next one. What do you think? Eh, it's okay. You shrug your shoulders. Well, that's being lukewarm. That's not committing to the to what needs to be committed to. And when we do that spiritually, it can lead us into, as he says here, very bad places and not fruitful. It's worse. We are at the same level as that of the unbeliever. We don't recognize our failures. It's worse. We are not in a better place than an unbeliever. We are the same place as a believer. And the solutions are exactly the same. Repentance. Turn back. Exact same. So there is a place for the unbeliever and the backsliding or the lukewarm Christian is the same exact place as the unbeliever. So don't let us not kid ourselves to say, unbeliever is down in the pit. I'm halfway there, and the, the believing in the, the righteous good folks are up there. But I'm only slipped up to this much. Laodicea, the letter to Laodicea says, no, when you slip there, you are with the unbeliever and down in the ditch. Because we don't, and that's exactly what happens when we are down there. We don't recognize our poverty. Now let us contrast that against the church at Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who is dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You have a year, so it belongs to us, uh, to you and to me. The point that I want to make here is about poverty in verse 9. Notice in verse 9. I know your works and tribulation and poverty. And then Jesus tells them, no, but you're rich. Physical poverty. They are in the deep trouble. In other words, this is a church that's undergoing tribulation like nobody's business. Satan has them in the cross, uh, um, cr crosshairs. 
and they are just being persecuted. They're being killed off. And he says, and he, he assures them that you will have no part in the second death. Yeah, you, they may kill you now. Some, some of you will die as a result of this, but you will not be part of the second death. You know what the second death is. But the more important point is this. While they were in poverty in their physical state, Jesus assures them that you're rich. Contrast between the two. One is a rich church, wealthy church. They have all the benefits of life, but they are a lukewarm church. The other one is a poverty-stricken church. However, the life, in their life, Jesus counts them rich. This poverty that we're talking about is a choice. This poverty, I'm referring to not physical poverty. Someone had asked me, are we talking physical poverty? Are we talking money? No, I'm not talking money. I'm talking spiritual poverty. This poverty is a choice. The just the awareness does no one good, as we've seen. There are many who desire, or in fact, they recognize their poverty. But isn't it interesting, even though they recognize their poverty, they don't desire to become rich. They would rather stay in the poverty, in the brokenness. That is a very interesting and unique condition of the human being. Jesus encountered one of these characters in the scriptures, and I want us to look at that one. We think that if I somehow came to the awareness of my poverty, my spiritual poverty, that I would quickly turn, isn't it? That is the general implication or that's what is construed. Oh yeah, once I recognize my poverty, I obviously want to become rich. Not so obvious. Let's take a look at this one. Let's look at John chapter 5, 1 to 15. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew uh, that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful of you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? 
but the one who was healed and did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. As you read this portion, what comes to your mind, it, specifically about this uh, beggar, what, what comes to your mind? What are the things that cross your mind, questionable things? Have you thought when you read this portion, what has come to your mind? He was, uh, he was a very lazy guy. <laughs> Why do you say he was a lazy guy? 38 years he was lying there and didn't make an, any effort to get into the pool. <laughs> okay. All right. We would say that he was, he was lukewarm. Lukewarm, yes. Okay. Any other thoughts? Did he really want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Yes, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Uh, you know, sometimes yeah. we sometimes we get into our uh, routine, you know, and we better we benefit from from the uh, and we use excuses. We use excuses uh, to not change. Yeah. What else? Good point. Good point. What else? Um, that it was more important for the Jews to ask who cured him of that's his, yes i yeah, was in that direction than, uh, yeah okay that's yeah. true yeah rather than yeah. recognizing the miracle this is true the answer is in the question of jesus what do you do mean you tell me want to get well yeah if you have the desire mm. any other this guy, this guy's um problem was because he sinned because uh Jesus told him not to not to sin anymore. Mm. Good point. Well taken. Any other? No one else. Yeah. Well, he, he did go to the temple afterwards, which is where Jesus found him. This is true. Yeah. Someone else was just speaking up. Please go ahead. He didn't answer Jesus' question when Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? He just answered, oh, there's nobody to help. Instead of saying, yes, I want to be well. Did he really want to be well? Yes. Yeah, that contrasts with the, with the woman who had a sick child. And she said, if I just could touch the hem of your garment, I know my daughter could be healed. Significant differences. Huge difference, isn't it? So why do you think the beggar, obviously you all got the point here. Jesus asked a question. He didn't answer the question. He deflected and told him why he couldn't do it. He was blaming someone else, a lazy fellow. He, for 38 years, he laid there. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, oh, uh, because of somebody else, I couldn't be well. Notice the blame he puts on someone else. Notice he puts the blame on someone else. This guy was a cripple. You'd think that somebody else would be able, could easily get to the pool before he could. He could. But no, the point is the question itself and the answer to the question tells you where his heart is. 
all he needed to do is very much saying all he needed was do you want to be well say yes sir i do please save me instead it was oh there's no one to put me in the well so with that much however as nels you mentioned yourself there is a problem with this man because Jesus, after he, after he recognized it was Jesus who healed him, Jesus comes to him privately and says, look, you've been made well, don't sin again. There was something about this man that he was content in his poverty. Here was somebody that was coming to him and saying, do you want to be well? What if someone came to you and you were in a poverty stricken strait? Let's say you were in a, in a financial poverty stricken state. And someone came to you and said, do you want me to do something for you to clean out your slate and make you rich? Now, if that person asked you that, would you go about saying why you became poor or what the reason was because you became poor? Or would you, the first thing that comes to your mind is, are you kidding? Yes, of course. It what would you say? how proud a person is. Frequently somebody will try to help someone financially and they'll say, no, no, uh, I can do it myself. There is that part and we are gonna talk about that part too. Um, he was blaming somebody. He was, first of all, uh, he was blaming somebody. He was, he was saying that his reason for his laying there was not him because of someone else. That's why he's been laying there. And he was more interested in that. Who knows? Perhaps he got free food. Perhaps he got free money. I don't know. And here's the other part. That he didn't have to do anything. Laying there, he could always play the woe is me. I'm at the bottom of the pit. I need handouts game. human mind is so deceitfully wicked in our spiritual walk we play that game we blame pastors we blame churches we blame upbringing we blame our life situation we blame a million other things why i'm spiritually poor except we don't take it upon ourselves to say, the master of the universe has come to me and asked me, do you wanna be well? Do you wanna be rich? And the first thing that comes out of my mouth is what? The litany of excuses why I'm not rich. As if, if I did all of those things, I would become rich. Because I'm not interested in richness. I'm happy in my poverty. I'm comfortable in my poverty. That is what we see with this person. Contentment in poverty. Many times we think that when we see poverty and richness contrasted, you bet I want to be rich. Not so. That was an amazing session. God calls out the lukewarm Christian as poor and wretched, whereas he calls the poverty-stricken Smyrna church rich. Blessed are those who repent and return to God. God doesn't want us to stay in a state of spiritual poverty when he himself wants to bless us. These are profound lessons that we are learning 
To be poor, get rich, and to not be contented with poverty. Do join us in the next episode, and God bless.